10, 15. Back up field at the 35 to the 40. 45, 50. Pass the 50. 35, 40. Pass the 30. To the 20. Inside the 20. Inside the 10. This is the old college try. This is your host, Tim Highland, and joining me as always is my co-host, Mike Unger. Mike, I say this every year on the podcast immediately following our trip. I feel like for whatever reason, we always do record that particular show earlier in the week rather than later. Um, we've been back now since, when did we get home, Mike? Th- Sunday night, right? Yeah, Sunday, Sunday night around, uh, we walked through my door around 9.30 p.m. Uh, still exhausted, Mike. Well, plus we have not seen the sun since we were in Utah. That has not helped. It's no, no, I, I, I texted you remnants of a hurricane. So, like, I we flew to Baltimore. I wasn't going to catch a train that night, so um, I got a train back Thursday morning, uh, rolling into Philadelphia, doing work email, and looking out the window and seeing forty-five degrees and rainy was literally and figuratively quite sobering. Mike, <laughs> just remember, we'll always have Utah, Tim. We will indeed, because uh, this year, I think, uh, beyond all expectations, you decided to take us to Utah. It was certainly a surprise to me. It was a surprise to Brian as well. Um, and I think we should probably jump right in. This is our 11th trip, I think, this year. 12, you count Lehigh. Um, we'll count Lehigh. We'll give it a little asterisk, but we'll count it. Uh, this one, I, we look, they're, they're all great in their own unique way. Um, at a very high overview, we'll, we'll get into the particulars of the games we saw and, and everything else. Um, I think one big takeaway, and I'm sure you've been there before because you've been everywhere. Uh, <laughs> I have been at Utah before. And uh, I have not. And I had heard it was beautiful. It really, it exceeded expectations. I mean, it was one of the most beautiful states I've ever been to. Definitely. It's, the, the scenery there is spectacular. There's like a mountain back, backdrop everywhere you look, it seems. Um, so we arrived um, on... <laughs> Thursday. Um, it's about a four-hour flight or so, so not too bad, actually. Um, we landed in Salt Lake City. Um, you picked a very peculiar car rental company for us to take a shuttle to. <laughs> I didn't pick it. Expedia picked it for me. But the good there. folks at Fox got the job done. We got there. We immediately went to Uintas Brewery or Brewing in uh, just outside Salt Lake City. Had a nice little lunch. Again, one of the best things about this trip, we were talking to the bartender, got some great intel on Salt Lake City that we would use later in that trip. We'll get to I that. Was, nice tease. Um, had a great lunch there. And then off, and the listeners will enjoy this, Mike. Our next stop was, of course, to go see the Great Salt Lake. And, <laughs> and Lake might be a little bit of a misnomer at this point. <laughs> so I'm wondering, people like having listened to me talk about this for whatever reason on the show previously may have like wondered, like, oh, it's kind of exaggerating here. But like having been to the Great Salt Lake and the stop we went to like was like the Great Salt Lake State Park. So this is the part they want you to see. Explain, <laughs> explain what we saw. We saw uh, basically an empty pit. I mean, there is water there. Let's not let's not over exaggerate, but they've lost a staggering amount of water. It looked like a graveyard for boats. There was a quote unquote marina that consisted of nothing but uh, pylons sticking out of an, uh, a dry ground. 
there were boats on the ground, uh, on shore. There were no boats whatsoever in the water. And the thing, unfortunately, that the podcast can't do is describe the smell. <laughs> it did not smell good, the Great Salt Lake. And the visitor center was like a trailer. All in all, it was quite a depressing scene. Yes, I think they're saying they're losing about two feet of water a day. Um, again, the, the you stand there and there's, a, I guess you would call that, well, what's that building way out there that the, that used to go up to the shore? It was a dance hall or something like that or a concert? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it, it's a dance hall. So I think it was like Salt Hall or something. Like it was built on the lake and the lake is like, what, 300 yards away at this point? Yeah, now it's not, it was built on a lake and now it looks like it's in a desert. Yeah, so that was, um, again, it was kind of oddly beautiful sublime maybe is the best way to put it um glad we saw it um back in our car to avoid the smell and we went straight oh of course we made our mls stop we went to go see uh real salt lake stadium rio tinto which is in an odd location but it was a nice little stop and then it was straight to provo now i think um i don't know what we were expecting in provo we knew going in that tailgating was a non-starter there was no tailgating allowed um but you did some great research and you did find uh, there are two bars, soon to be only one bar. My thought going in is like, all right, if there's only one bar or two bars, even though it's Provo, I'm like, oh, it's going to be a mob scene. Um, the bar we chose was called ABG's Bar, I think. And like, again, explain what we walked into at ABG's. On game day, I think like three hours till kick. Yeah, three hours and about a, three hours and about a mile from the stadium in quote unquote downtown Provo. There's this great bar, ABGs. It was named that by the uh, the old owner because he wanted to be first in the phone book, so he went with AB. Uh, it's been there since what the twenties, I think. Yeah, I think he said, and it is literally one of only two bars in Provo. Uh, the other one, as you said, was closing. The bar was empty. There was one bartender, and I actually there was one. There was a person at the door because they're always has to be a quote unquote bouncer at the door in Utah. They scan your, your, your driver's license, no matter how old you are. But this was a great bar, Tim. They had all kinds of awesome pool tables with plenty of space and little signs on the pool tables that said absolutely no gambling allowed. <laughs> they had the uh, Cleveland Guardians game on. They had a nice selection of beer. Uh, they had a fantastic jukebox with uh, an old school jukebox, right? With the, yeah. the kind where you hit the button and a whole page flips within you have six new new uh, album choices so it was a it was a great bar but and in, in no at no time would you have any inkling that uh really the biggest thing that's happening in Pro, provo i can't imagine there'd be something bigger than the byu game uh was happening less than a mile away from you it was uh we went back after the game of course and uh, the crowd was it's just and the way i described it was it was almost like the Island of Misfit Toys. It was all the people that perhaps against their will were forced to live in Provo. <laughs> and this is the, and we saw people of all stripes. Did we not, Mike? We saw a cross-dresser in yeah. Provo, Utah. And that, uh, no pun intended, that takes some balls. <laughs> um, but it was, it was a great crowd. Everyone was very friendly. Okay, we go to the game. Um, we, all, we always like a nice approach to the stadium. I will give uh, high marks to the approach to um Lavelle Edwards Stadium um walking in another great thing is when you walk into a stadium for the first time down the concourse and you get the first glimpse of the field it's always great in a game day um you walk into that stadium with the backdrop it has it is the only word for it is stunning I I, I do not exaggerate and um 
I give it the edge, I think, a little bit over Utah's too. As far as backdrop, yeah. I've never seen a stadium backdrop more stunning than Lavelle Edwards Stadium. Definitely not. It's uh, I agree. In, in terms of actual stadium, I think Rice Eccles in Salt Lake City is a little nicer of an actual structure. But yeah. in setting and backdrop, I'd have to give it to Lavelle Edwards Stadium uh, with the sun setting because kickoff was at 6 o'clock Mountain Time, which, by the way, I love Mountain Time for sports yeah. watching. It's terrific. Um, it's it's glorious. The, the sky was beautiful. Uh, it was threatening rain a little bit, but uh, most of the time it was blue skies and and uh, it was just a just a beautiful place to watch a football game. So um, the game starts sitting way from the upper deck. Um, excellent atmosphere in that stadium. BYU fans are legit. They take their football super seriously, as do the Utes fans. We'll get there in a second. Um, BYU looks to be a really legit team. I will say. Um, at one point, we moved over from the BYU side to the Utah State section. I love those Utah State fans. Like they were—they super- had one of the best uh, uh, school songs that I've ever heard. I wish I, we had we could drop in a, a version of it right now. They were all—they—they they, they traveled well. Of course, it's a—it's a mini rivalry, um, and Utah State played pretty well. You could tell watching that game. BYU was just twice as big, almost in every in every situation. And then second quarter hits, we're in the Utah state section, Tim, what happens? Who comes up, but BYU representatives giving out free ice cream to the Utah state fans. <laughs> and they were so happy to do so. It was a they, very, they, apparently it's a tradition that the BYU uh, brass go up and they welcome in the visiting fans by giving them free ice cream. They have some famous ice cream as I guess every uh, college campus seems to have these days. Yeah. Um, and we were right near the Utah State band. Those fans were fired up too, and it was a, it was just an awesome college football atmosphere. One uh, you never would have, as an East Coaster, we perhaps were not uh, as aware of as we should have been. For capacity, by the way, at Lavelle Edwards Stadium is sixty three thousand seven twenty five. It was damn near a sellout if it wasn't a sellout. Really nice stadium, and we loved also the the color of the BYU blue. Very very That's nice great. hue. Yeah. A few uh, minor things. What does what's the uh, what's the thing that the that the BYU fans all eat during the game, Mike? Oh, the cougar tail. It's a it's a giant, <laughs> disgusting. That's my word. Uh, looking donut thing that looks like it looks like a pretzel rod, but it's a donut. And it uh, we did not get one, but we saw many people eating them. Well, pretzel rod is not to adjust. It's like it's like a it's like a baguette size. Yeah, baguette, like a giant pretzel. Yeah, like, like baguette is much better. Um, so baguette that was, donut. That was interesting. Um, left at halftime, we went back to our favorite bar, ABGs, and then it was just back to the hotel. Mike, right? There was nothing beyond that at that point. We were, yeah, it was an early. It was an early. It was a long day on Thursday. Uh, Friday, we had a free day, which we rarely have on these trips. So it was really cool. We made a stop at this beautiful, it, was, it must have been a, some kind of park, state park or something, uh, Bridal Veil Falls. We took photos. It sounded like my friends and family, but I'm like, this does not do it justice. It was just so stunning. Um, beautiful weather day. We moseyed along. We got our way to Park City, Utah. Of course, very famous um, ski resort. A little bit of money in Park City, Mike. A little bit of money. We went to an, uh, yet another. I feel like we went to the three best bars in Utah because we stopped at the No Name Saloon on Main Street there in Park City. Had Bison Burgers, um, great, great uh, bar there. And then it was off to High West, one of the most stunning and gorgeous distilleries you'll ever imagine. How, tr- Tim, tr- try to describe to people where it's located. It's impossible. Like you're driving and you're in the middle of nowhere. 
these mountains you're at this point now they're very um deserty type mountains yeah right and we're following the directions but me and you are questioning brian like very strongly like <laughs> this makes no sense we seem to be going into like a dead end here yeah uh, you arrive at a parking lot and of course there's a lovely shuttle waiting for you and then uh the blue girl, sky ranch that's where you're that's where you are so this guy named mr bill who i don't think was the best driver which is lovely when you're teetering on the edge of a cliff the entire way on the way up to the distillery we get there this distillery again like everything else in utah we saw just stunningly beautiful um and the whiskey was damn good too mike yeah it's on the top of a mountain um a lot of money a lot of money there i was saying it'd be a fun place that we saw people i think that they, they were having a wedding there there's like a 50 uh room ranch up there uh it's a working ranch too there's horses and cattle and all kinds of stuff up there but uh High West is a is a bourbon that I'd heard of, uh, but we tried a couple other types of bourbon, including one that they kind of mixed with scotch. Forgetting the name of it right now, but that was really really good. And uh, um, yeah, that was a great stop. And then uh, finally, we made our way to Salt Lake City. Um, we made the collective decision just to make dinner in the house that night and just kind of chill. That was a good call, I think, Mike. Yeah, your chili was excellent. Uh, so then it was up. Um, I was up really early on Saturday. I'm always excited for game day. And it was a picture perfect day again. It was like 62 maybe and sunny. Um, we rolled out of there. I forget, like maybe two hours to game time. Very short walk from our house, which was great, by the way, um, up to the stadium. We were impressed right off the bat. A, it's a great example of a stadium just plopped in the middle of campus, which is pretty cool. Um, it just sneaks up on you great facade we went we'd asked uh, previously about like hey um um you know what's the what's the best tailgating lot i forget the name of it we found our way there and uh it was elite level big 10 sec level tailgating it was really really cool and the youth fans are dead serious on a um, much let's be clear though on a much smaller scale because there, there's tailgating it was great tailgating but it was 100 confined to a single lot which, and you had to be like a big donor to be in that lot too? Yes, you had to be a big donor. The campus of University of Utah was gorgeous, much nicer than the actual BYU campus. Um, and the stadium, Rice Eccles, holds 51,000, another sellout. And they just love their football there. I mean, they, they, were, they were dialed in, those fans. They were excited for the game. As we said several times, it was perhaps the best atmosphere I've ever seen for a noon kickoff. Oh, yeah, it was a... It was a it was not a new, it was not a big 10 noon kickoff. No, it was, you would have thought it was like a 6 p.m. kickoff. I mean, everybody was there right at noon. The energy, the student section was spectacular. Yeah. Uh, they, re they really brought the energy. And uh, on a football terms, um, by the way, BYU and Utah both won. Um, I was really impressed with Utah. I think they're a very, very good team and obviously a contender in the Pac-12. All things being said, oh, of course, after we meet with our, our intel, we used, um, we found just the best bar in Salt Lake City. Juniors, right? Was it called Juniors? Juniors, that's what it's called. Yep, it's been there since 1974. Um, it's as divey, as dive bar as you can get in Salt Lake City, a city that does not have a lot of bar culture, let's just say. No, no, it does not. But again, overall, I don't want to belabor the point, it was a tremendous trip. Um, just add it to the list of all the places we've been. I can now say I've been to um, Provo and Corvallis, which again, maybe like besides you and Brian, like five people in the United States have been to. Uh, <laughs> the, 
couple a couple people who work for Pac-12 media might have uh, done that too. But yes, not yeah. too many fans have have been to both. We heard some, by the way, heard some very good-natured ribbing uh, between the Utah and Oregon State fans, in which uh, the Utah fan was talking smack. I can't even describe it as anything worse than that because it was so friendly. And the Oregon State fan snapped back and said, hey, we're a baseball school. And as an Adley Rutschman fan for the Orioles, I really appreciated that retort. Yeah, it's another great, great trip. Uh, next year, Brian takes the reins. We'll be curious. We, we, we had to discuss, like, a lot of the blue chippers are crossed off the list now. So now it gets more interesting, really. You know, it's like, oh, we're now on the next level of uh, places to go. But there's still right. wonderful right. the lower level. Yeah. Um, so right, thanks for planning it, Mike. That was a lot of fun. Uh, I know I owe you a lot of money now, so we'll get that. <laughs> the check is in the, in, the, in the email. The bill is in the email. All right, cool. So let's do the weekend review. Um, I will say, despite all of our travel, we saw a lot of football this yeah. week. Unfortunately, uh, much of what we saw was in black and white due to a mysterious <laughs> element of our TV at our, in our Airbnb that not even wizard, the great tech wizard Brian Schlater could figure out. We'll start with the Friday night game. UCLA 40, number 16, Washington 32. An entertaining game we watched from our house. Um, kind of speaks to the idea that at, I, at no point in the past several years, if I had any idea what to make of UCLA, I still don't, despite this result. Um, I did see a lot of talent on this field. Um, but again, I think the Pac-12 picture, I feel confident about Utah having seen them in person. I feel good about USC just based on their talent. And then beyond that, I have no idea. Yeah, and I was all gung-ho on Washington heading into this game. Um, because of my love for Michael Penix. Uh, but 40-32, by the way, wasn't even as close as uh, the score. The game wasn't as close as the score indicates. UCLA jumped on them early, and and UCLA really controlled the game, setting up a huge game with uh, Utah this week that we'll talk about later. But um, big win. And, and uh, incidentally, that was my runner-up for the trip. We could have been at that UCLA-Washington game at the Rose Bowl, followed by the USC game next week, uh, or next the next day, pardon me. Nice. That would have been a lot of travel, though, huh? Yeah, yeah. it would have been. It would have been. Uh, number one, Georgia 26, Missouri 22. So poor Brian had the indignity of watching this game on his phone at the bar because they didn't have the SEC network, even though they had the Big Ten network and the Pac-12 network. Think yeah, that was definitely the first time I've ever been somewhere that did not have, that had the big, that had the Pac-12 network, but did not have the SEC network. So we were watching the other games. Brian is dialed into this game, and he had to be because... Um, I don't want to say Georgia was fortunate to win because in the end, I think their talent came through. Certainly did not play very well, Mike. No, every time we glanced over, uh, he was, Brian was uh, getting a little more stressed and a little more incredulous at the, at the performance of his dogs. Kind of a win. And when, when you're Georgia, no one's going to care about style points, obviously, if they're undefeated at the end of the year and win the SEC, basically like anybody, they'll be fine. Um, but two straight games now, if you include that game against Kent state where Georgia has not looked like Georgia. So they're going to need to write that ship moving forward. Uh, but again, a good wake up call for them long season to go. Um, but uh, one of those things where the coaches like they don't enjoy it during the game, but that's so useful for a coach to point yeah. to what they're not good at yet. You know, um, number two, Bama 49, number 20, Arkansas 26. Um, did we see this game, Mike? We were watching, I, I was watching much of this at the first bar that I hated um, while you were watching the Penn State Northwestern game. Yeah. Um, that is the bar. I can't remember the name, but there's a couple couple more bars in Salt Lake City. So we went there and I was showing my ID to the guy uh, 
at the door and he said, Maryland. And I said, yeah, I'm here on vacation. He said, <laughs> you're on vacation. You wound up in Utah. He was uh, very surprised to hear that. But that game, that Baylor game just had a ton of big plays. Every time I looked up, someone was scoring a very, very long touchdown. So the big 12 played some entertaining football. We were talking Bama, Arkansas there, Mike. <laughs> What's that? We were talking Bama, Arkansas, weren't we? No, I, I thought you said Baylor. No, Bama, Arkansas, regardless. <laughs> I don't think I put Baylor down here, did I? Oh, it's later in the list. Anyway, Bama beat Arkansas. Uh, <laughs> Bama, Arkansas was on the, at the same time at that bar, and that was a wild, wild game. One of the best onside kick recoveries that I've ever seen. I think Bama was probably a little stunned when, uh, when um, Young went out with the injury. But, of course, we said all three of us had no idea who Alabama's backup was, but we had supreme confidence that he was awesome. And he was indeed credit to Arkansas for coming back from a huge deficit where it really looked like they were out of the game, but Bama just flexed their muscles there at the end. Uh, number three, Ohio state 49 Rutgers 10, nothing surprising in the score here. Of course, um, just here because of the ridiculous mini controversy of Ohio state was up. God knows how much at this point were they up like with, Whatever, they were huge up in the game. I think it was 42-10 at this point. Lined up for a punt. Everything I've read indicates it was not a called fake punt, but I think like the punters just coached like, hey, if you get the snap and there's space and you can take it, take the space. Right, right? so it wasn't even kind of a malicious move. The punter is, re is, is relentlessly coached with a rugby-style punt, so he got the snap and he kind of ran to the right. And there was literally no one on the field there, no one at all between him and the first down marker. So probably just reacting to coaching, not thinking, oh, it's 42-10 in the fourth quarter. This is going to make Rutgers mad. He uh, he ran, and then he took a very vicious late hit out of bounds. So I'm sure the Rutgers players understandably were pissed off, right? Sparked this on-field fight. Seattle comes over. All of a sudden, him and Ryan Day are, are going at each other. Um, I think – look, the coaches need to defend their players. I'm fine with it or whatever. They made up, they, they shook hands after and it's all good now, Mike. Um, but again, it was not, a, it was not a called fake punt. I don't think yeah. Ryan would have done that. Um, anyway, it's one of those funny things. Uh, number four, Michigan 27, Iowa 14. I never felt like this game was in doubt. Michigan took the ball in the opening drive, drove right down, scored a touchdown. And knowing Iowa's offense, it's like, all right, well. Yeah, it's already over. It's already over at seven, nothing. Uh, Iowa's offense really is, and I hate to pick on the kid. I mean, I was texting my dad. There was one drive. It was early in the game. I think it was only 7 nothing at this point, so Iowa, in theory, was still in it, and they were driving, and then he had, a, like, I think three in a row, just awful throws. Awful. Um, yeah, he's not got to be so frustrating as an Iowa fan. Like, I, like, my dad texted me. He's like, God, how bad's the backup? I'm like, that's a good question. Um I just keep coming back to it. I, got, I, I could be forgetting somebody. I just don't think Iowa's had a legit good quarterback since Brad Banks in 2002. Yeah, I was going to say Chuck Long in 1985, but <laughs> we'll go. There's probably someone better between Long and Banks. I, I just don't know how you fix it. I mean, like, Ference is who he is. And so yeah, he, needs, he needs to retire and take his son with him for Iowa to change, uh, to change their ways. Uh, number five, Clemson 30, number 10, NC State 20. You and I are watching this one while Brian was suffering through Georgia. It was close for a while, and then Clemson just kind of pulled away. Yeah, very good game, very entertaining game. Um, game day was there, according to noted listener uh, Ryan Tozier, who was there with his kids. He had some uh, sweet seats on the 50. Uh, it was a great game. 
but he noticed, as we did, attending two nationally televised games, that uh, boy, there's a lot of reviews and commercial timeouts when you're in the when you're in the stands. You're, they're very, very noticeable. But still, he had a great time. Clemson played very, very well. Back-to-back wins over Wake and NC State really established Clemson as a team to beat in the ACC. DJ has upped his game to a new level, so I'd be confident if I were a Clemson fan. I did see, I think we were commenting on the um, quote-unquote tradition of, of Clemson taking the buses to the stadium. And oh, I was yeah, like, Tim, what did, what did you think about the fact that Clemson has to take a shuttle bus uh, to get to their, their their the hill, the top of the hill there? No, I knew that they did this. I just didn't realize, because I was curious then, I started reading about it. And I have to admit, this is like, okay, if it's a beloved attrition, like you do, you, Clemson, it's a little embarrassing. They take the buses from one side of the stadium to the other. <laughs> like, because the locker room is on the other side of the stadium of Howard's Rock and the Hill. Right. I think Clemson has enough money probably to build a new locker room so they don't need to take the buses, like, literally around the corner. It's a little <laughs> weird. We learned on this trip, too, Tim, there's a few things you hate more than a shuttle bus. <laughs> Who likes a shuttle bus? No one likes it, but I don't think people hate it to your level. Uh, add to my list with leaf blowers and <laughs> winter. Winter. Yeah. Slow walkers. <laughs> Big one. <laughs> uh, and hand air hand dryers have got to go too, Mike. They're all awesome. <laughs> uh, number 14, Ole Miss 22, number seven, Kentucky 19. Um, not a massive blowout, but they're you know, Kentucky was riding high and they were like everyone's darling, right? Um, kind of a classic Lane Kiffin win here. Yeah, it didn't really, we didn't, we didn't see any of this one. Uh, it was happening during our game, but apparently Will Levis had some uh, key turnovers late in the game to give Ole Miss the win. Oh, one that I didn't put on here, speaking of early uh, quote unquote upsets. Did I put Purdue on there? No, I did not put Purdue on there. No. Um, Purdue oh, yeah, you did. You did. You haven't gotten to it. Oh, it's later. All right uh number nine oklahoma state 36 number 16 baylor 24 we already talked about it <laughs> number 11 penn state 17 northwestern seven now brian, right, I'll, let, I'll let you go on this one <laughs> so brian had his three hours of misery watching georgia and uh, god this is an awful game to watch i just there was look it was during the hurricane remnants i get it but uh five fumbles is a little bit much i think it was five fumbles and an interception Clifford played awful. It was like 10 of 20. Every back they put in, because after they benched the first guy, then the next guy fumbled, and he fumbled, and the next guy fumbled. There was no one else to give the ball to. It was just <laughs> awful performance. Um, thank God that Northwestern's so inept on offense. Otherwise, it would have been a classic, like, hey, look, Penn State's miles better than those guys, but when you turn the ball over five, six times, you're opening the door. So you better work on the uh, ball handling going forward, Mike. When I glanced, when we glanced at this game, boy, it looked like the most miserable place to be on earth. And uh, your son Jack realized that and bailed on going to the game, as I'm sure thousands, like as thousands of others just like him did. Uh, you could you could see this one coming. You could see an ugly game, especially considering the weather. But I don't think we saw that many turn that many turnovers in Penn State's future against a, what's really a very very bad Northwestern team. Again, they won the game. Move on, but. It was fun watching you attempt to, and quote unquote, enjoy that game, which you did not enjoy it. You watched it, but you did not enjoy it. That's a good description. And and to to, to say that Jack just bailed in the game, you know, he like actually made the walk, and it's not a short walk from his dorm with his buddies to the game. They got to the game, they're like, no, we're not staying, and they left right away. <laughs> I applaud them. I don't know if the younger, if a, if a freshman in college, Mike Unger, would have done that, but I applaud them. It's it was the right move. 
Mississippi State 42, number 17, AM 24. Can we just stop with AM at this point? Yeah, I mean, I, we'll be doing our top 25, but there's no way they can still be in the top 25, right? They are a disaster, especially offensively. Uh, Purdue 20, number 21, Minnesota 10. Again, we missed this because we were at the Utah game. Um, I did. So we watched game day. You know, I don't love game day anymore, but like you do have to give credit. Like Kirk Herbstreit is a good analyst. Okay. Oh, yeah. Great. And he does, he knows his stuff. And I give him credit. Like he, I think, didn't just pick Purdue as his super dog. He had them, like, he's like, hey, I'll take them out right. Mm-hmm. Um, and heading into that game, you know, Purdue had not looked, was it was their last game Syracuse? Like, not exactly the most inspiring performance there. Um, but Kirk saw something and look, Minnesota was getting a lot of hype. That's a very experienced, talented offense with a great quarterback and a great tailback to hold them to 10 impressive by Purdue yeah especially well I think it really hurt Minnesota that they didn't have their uh running back Ibrahim he's a he's a star but I didn't know it would hurt them this much Purdue is a team really have no idea how they're going to play week to week they are coming to College Park next week to play the Terps and should be a fascinating game for many reasons one is you just don't know how Purdue is going to play we'll talk more later I think it's a, a very pivotal game for both teams yeah I agree uh Finally, Georgia Tech 26, number 24, Pitt 21. Just here because I'm a Penn State fan. It's fun to like see Pitt suffer, but this is a bad loss. Georgia Tech's terrible, Mike. Can't, you can't get a worse loss than that. I mean, Georgia Tech had just fired its coach because it was one of the worst, if not the worst, power five teams in the entire country. But uh, tip of the cap to their players. They rallied and and uh, took out the Panthers. Uh, all right, top 25. We'll do the coaches this week. Drop from rankings, Oklahoma, AM, Florida State, Minnesota, and Pitt um selected others receiving votes we've got florida and florida state there back to back maryland with 37 james madison with 30 uh air force on the list purdue on the list coastal on the list notre dame down there with all of how's Notre Dame had five votes my god <laughs> well props to maryland cheers to maryland for getting 37 votes they beat michigan state not a great michigan state team but maryland is doing what they need to do to uh, move themselves up in the pecking order there in the Big Ten East. And uh, one vote each, Pitt and Duke, which is kind of fun. <laughs> All right, 25, Arkansas, 24, Washington, 23, Mississippi State, 22, Baylor, 21, Syracuse at 5-0. and Syracuse at 5-0. and I think uh, Baylor, with the, uh, Baylor had a nice win and Mississippi State had a nice win. They're teams I would keep my eye on. 20K State, 19 UCLA, 18 TCU, 17 Kansas, 16 BYU. How about uh, TCU annihilating Oklahoma? Oh, I didn't get that one game. Oh, I missed that one. Yeah, yeah that's, that's all right. They put, they put uh, what, 55 points on the Sooners? Uh, what a disastrous performance by Oklahoma's defense. One of the worst cheap shots that I've ever seen, though, was uh, dished out to Dylan Gabriel, Oklahoma's quarterback. He was sliding. He was almost down. And uh, TCU guy just went head hunting on him and knocked him out of the game. It was shameful. Uh, but still, Sonny Dykes, great start for TCU. Sets up a monster showdown with Kansas this week. 15, Wake Forest. 14, NC State, who despite the loss, I think they're a good football team. They're tough. I, like I would them. say the same. Yeah, I would say the same about uh, about Wake. Uh, 13, Kentucky. 12, Oregon. 11, our beloved Utah Utes. How about that? We when I when I was booking this uh, trip, I certainly didn't think we'd be seeing the number eleven team in the nation in Utah and the number sixteen team in the nation in BYU. Ten Penn State, nine Ole Miss, eight Tennessee, seven Okie State, and six USC. 
Okie State seems to be in the driver's seat in the Big 12, similarly for USC, but uh, I can't wait to see the USC-Utah game later on the season. Five, Clemson, four, Michigan, three, Ohio State, two, Georgia, one, Bama. Bama with 34 first place votes, Georgia with 23, and Ohio State with seven. We figured Georgia would drop, so hardly a surprise there. I think it's totally justified at this point in the season, right? And completely irrelevant. <laughs> that too. All right, one news item. This broke while we were on the plane flying back to Baltimore. Um, I think it speaks to, in many ways, the modern reality of college football. Uh, Paul Christ, in his time at Wisconsin, first of all, he's a Wisconsin grad. He has coached for years and years over his career at Wisconsin. He's a Wisconsin guy. I think he was born in Madison. I could be wrong. Um, he was 60, 20, 67 and 26. That's winning 72% of his games. Okay. I think he won three Big Ten West titles. He did. Yep. Uh, I think he went to six, five or six New Year's Day bowls. I could be wrong there. That's probably I think wrong. he was he was six and one overall in his bowls, bowl appearances. So I mean, Wisconsin has consistently been the best team in the West, right? Um He's gotten them to the Big Ten title game. They haven't won it, right? But um, I think by all accounts, and let's remember, this is Wisconsin for, you know, years and years and years before Alvarez was like a wilderness. Uh, I thought Chris did a great job and by all accounts was also a great dude. Well, they fired him, um, which I just think is like, it's shocking to me to happen like this early in the season to that kind of guy. I think it's like, honestly, downright disrespectful. Um, the question now is, look, We've been hearing for years now how, how excited they are about this guy, Jim Leonard, who, of course, played there as well. I think he's he's their D.C. right now. He's going to be the mm -hmm. interim head coach. The question is, because there's two theories here. Oh, they just wanted to – it was kind of like the Maryland-James uh, Franklin situation where they named him, like, what, head coach in waiting just in hopes of keeping him. I think there's one train of thought that they're worried that Leonard was going to leave, and they mm -hmm. wanted to lock him down now. And that totally plausible. But – there's also Lance Leopold out there, Mike. And I, again, I think I could be wrong. I think he's a Wisconsin native who's won everywhere he's been, who's winning right now at Kansas, who, as of a couple of years ago, was clearly the worst team in the Power Five, right? There will be a bidding war for Lance Leopold no matter what. Yes. So do you think that the answer long-term for Wisconsin in their minds, are they looking at Leopold or Leonard? Uh, obviously, I have no idea. It's a great question. I think that the fact that Leonard was on their staff did – play a part in the in the firing of Chris uh, because not only do college teams want Leonard but apparently he's below uh, he's really uh, beloved in the NFL as well yeah um, so I think that played a part also though you know Paul Chris did have a lot of success there but it was trending negatively for two plus seasons now let's not uh, you know we had a conversation about this uh, over the weekend before Chris was fired before they got smashed by Illinois and, oh, by the way, Brett Bielema, now let's not kid ourselves. Maybe if that was a different team that came in and beat Wisconsin, Chris might not be fired. Had to sting a lot more that it was Brett Bielema uh, in Illinois who, who whipped up on them. Wisconsin had two yards rushing in that game, Tim. Two. Yeah. That, that seems un, impossible, really. So they had not been playing well. That being said, like you said, everybody uh, universally seemed to love this guy, Paul Christ. Um, Everyone is going to want Leopold, uh, Lance Leopold, including Nebraska, for sure. Yeah. And it seems like the playbook now, 
was started by LSU and USC last year that if you want to, you know, line up your donors and get a consensus on who you're going to try and go get, you have to get rid of your coach early in the season. So when it's time, when the season ends, when the regular season ends, at least you can be prepared uh, right off the bat to go after your guy. So um, we'll see what happens. I think a lot of it's oddly going to, will certainly depend on how, Wisconsin plays in the in their final seven games here and the and their bowl game down the stretch. It's a good good time to be Lance Leipold, right? <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Waiting to cast somebody's check. Um, all right, games of the week. How about number four, Michigan at Indiana for the noon big noon kickoff, Mike on Fox. I think because Michigan had this game last week, right? They have the Iowa game, then they have this week on the big noon kickoff, and then they have Penn State next week on the big noon kickoff. So they're really locked into that spot. Um, I know this is not a vintage Indiana team, Mike. That's and an understatement. So you, I'm guessing you don't give the Hoosiers much of a chance here. I do not. I mean, we watched that Indiana-Nebraska game on, on Saturday night, 5.30 actually kickoff mountain time, which was perfect. Uh, and look, Indiana played hard. They just, they just really don't have a lot of talent, especially on offense. There's not too many playmakers. I don't see how they're going to score against Michigan. Michigan is a 21-and-a-half-point road favorite. If you look, I had an interesting little conversation with my friend noted listener Pitts today over text. If he said, he said, I, if I give you one and a half wins for the rest of the year, would you take over under for Indiana? And I, 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 I hate to say it, but I think I'd probably take under this. This is certainly not going to be one of them. Number eight, Tennessee at number 25, LSU noon ESPN. Again, at this point, no idea what to make of LSU. Um, Tennessee, I think, fortunate. This is a new kick as well. Um, I wouldn't touch this one when it came to uh, gambling. Like I have no idea what the spread is. There's just too many unknowns with these teams. Still, I, there's there's a line of thought out there that like, and I don't buy it. I'm just sharing because I've heard it several times. Like, oh, Brian Kelly's message is starting to get through. His system's starting to take hold. I'm like, all right, well, we'll see. Yeah, um, and we don't know if that's true. But again, we were we were talking to each other Saturday night. Every time they we were watching uh, the, the LSU Auburn game was on another TV, and uh, every time they showed Brian Kelly on the sideline in his purple shirt, boy, he just does not look right in that purple shirt. Um, that being said, Tennessee, this is you know Tennessee's gotten a lot of um, juice from their four and zero start, but this is going to be obviously a whole different ball game going down to Death Valley. Tennessee is favored by two and a half on the road against LSU. I agree. No idea what to make about the, uh, about this game, but it's uh, certainly an interesting one. Uh, number 17, TCU, and number 19, Kansas, noon FS1. There's some good games there for the new window, Mike. Um, what, the biggest game at Kansas easily since the Mark Mangino era when I think they climbed as high as number one or two in the polls? Yeah, and they were in the Orange Bowl that year. Uh, props to game day for going to Lawrence, even though the game is on Fox even yep. though there are many other, uh, you know, better kind of technically better uh, rank versus rank opponents. They've never, the show has never been to, to Lawrence, Kansas. The environment is going to be out of control there. You got two undefeated teams. TCU favored by seven on the road. Seems like a little bit of a big number to me. Kansas apparently really struggled last week, but they did beat Iowa State. Um, they needed, they relied on a couple missed field goals, but uh, I'll definitely be excited to watch game day from Lawrence, Kansas this week. How about this? Unranked Texas at unranked or first unranked Oklahoma, Mike, noon ABC. That's the fourth best noon game on this list. I know. I was thinking of, I, I had, I was forgotten that this was Red, Red Rivalry 
uh, Red River Robbery Week. God, I cannot say that. Um, a game I've been to and attended and that every college football fan should attend. And it won't even, I don't even know if it'll make my top, uh, my top three televisions. Texas is seven point favorite against Oklahoma. Whoever loses their season is a hundred percent over and their fans will be irate. So that makes it kind of interesting. Both teams have their backs up against the wall. Um, be interesting to see who plays quarterback for Oklahoma. Also who plays quarterback for Texas. I think Ewers is coming back, but always a great game, but it's really, this is not a vintage uh, version of it. I stand corrected. It's the fifth best noon game because also at noon, Purdue at Maryland, noon BTN. I don't exaggerate. I'm more interested in Purdue, Maryland than Texas, Oklahoma. As I mentioned earlier, um, you have these two teams in Maryland and Purdue have had good moments, not so good moments, but are showing promise in some respects. I think whatever team wins here has a potential for, in their world, a really nice season. I think the team that loses is going to have a hard time climbing out of that hole. Yeah, I mean, I will have this on my uh, my second best TV, but I don't know if others around the country will. Uh, Terps, three and a half point favorite. The weather is supposed to be beautiful here in Maryland on Saturday. Should be a, should be a very, very competitive game. Maryland has an offense that is for real. There's no doubt about it. They can throw it. They can run it. They've got good tight ends. They've got a they've got a great quarterback. But Purdue is a team that can kind of just control the ball, and they I think they're very good at like exerting their will of the type of game that they want to play on their opponent. So uh, it should be a, a highly entertaining game. Auburn at number two, Georgia, three thirty p.m. CBS. Of oh, your Auburn, first of all, you're terrible. Um, they're up seventeen nothing against LSU and totally blow it. Brian Harson is rudderless. He knows he's got to know he's going to get fired. The players know he's going to get fired. And now you got to play a Georgia team who's going to be fired because they almost lost to Missouri last week. This Georgia could win by seventy-five. Mike. Yeah, I kind of agree with you here. This is a bad spot for Auburn. And Georgia is going to be focused and ready to play uh, against Auburn. They're at home. It's three thirty game on. Uh, it's a CBS game. Georgia's favored by 29 and a half, which is still, still a big number, especially considering the way they played the last two weeks. But uh, the South's oldest rivalry, uh, we'll see if it uh, will be a contested game this year. Number 11, Utah at number 18, UCLA, 3.30 p.m. on Fox. A huge game here in the Pac-12. First of all, I, I think I can speak for all of us. We're, we are Utah fans now. Yeah. The, the experience from uh, from top to bottom was so great that I am going to be watching Utah very closely the rest of this year. This is an awesome game. The Utes are favored by four in the Rose Bowl. Rose Bowl, uh, it'll be 12:30 of course out there, but this is a this is a tremendous 3:30 game. I think not knowing what UCLA can do, I would still probably take Utah minus the four, but uh, I will be watching. Uh, number three, Ohio State at Michigan State, 4 p.m. ABC. Um, again, Michigan State's also terrible. I just, um, I, I know it's early days still. I just, I wonder what the next couple of years are going to bring. Maybe I'm overreacting to Sparty. Um, I'm just not getting great energy out of that whole thing. Yeah, it's a rough season for them, but what Mel Tucker showed is that he can retool by using the portal. So I wouldn't count them out. Plus we know Michigan is always a, a one step forward, two step back kind of program. So they'll have their, they'll have their, uh, their odd good season, I think in the future. Uh, but this is what a, what a uncompelling game, right? Four o'clock 
in East Lansing. Ohio State, 26.5-point favorites on the road. Um, I just can't see a scenario where they don't destroy Michigan State. Unless Tucker just does a great job of coaching him. Like, it's not impossible. It could be, like, analogous to the Georgia-Missouri thing, right, where yeah. Ohio State's feeling maybe, like, a little too good about themselves and maybe it's, like, one last, you know, stand for Michigan State. I mean, I wouldn't put it – they are Sparty. This would be a I – mean, it would be maybe the all-timer, but this would be a, a, a classic Sparty upset. So, so you're taking Michigan State in the points? No. <laughs> just, I didn't I'm think just, so. Just saying. I think my first job out of college was 1998 Ohio State team, which I think, honest to God, was probably the most talented Ohio State team I ever recall. Um, was number one pretty much all year and went in to play an unranked Sparty. I think it was a 330 kick. And uh, Sparty pulled, like, the biggest upset. I mean, that was – that Ohio State team was so good. So good. So – there is precedent, Mike. I'm just saying. Just saying. There's precedent for everything. Not everything, Mike. Um, <laughs> number 16, BYU at Notre Dame, 7.30 p.m. NBC. Um, Notre Dame is, I don't, again, I don't know what they are. I, I just say, um, and I think Utah State's like another, not having a great season. I liked what I saw out of BYU. We both yeah. noticed, by the way, um, BYU had a noticeable size difference over Utah State. So, Tim, do you know where this game is being played? Do I want to know? This game is being played at the Raiders Stadium in uh, Las Vegas. That's like the worst one ever. That's Can awful. you imagine the BYU fans in Las Vegas? Whose idea was this? <laughs> I'm sure it was Notre Dame's, and probably BYU had to take everything because they're an independent. Notre Dame is favored by four points in this game. I'll take BYU all day. Yeah, me too. Uh, A&M at number one, Bama, 8 p.m. CBS. Hey, good luck, A&M. That'll be great. I don't think um, Saban and Jimbo ever made up. Remember over the summer when oh, yeah. Saban accused him basically of buying his whole squad and, and Jimbo feigned like, you know, horror at the whole thing. Um, so I don't think they're getting along. And uh, I don't think Nick is going to take it easy on Jimbo. It's so funny that this is probably like, what, the eighth best game of the but all summer. Everyone had this one circled. CBS moved it, flexed it to, uh, to 8 p.m. So this will be on CBS at 8 p.m. Bama 23 and a half point favorites at home. Uh, and now it's 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 a you know it's a three touchdown spread. Uh, it just shows you how quickly things can change in the world of college football. Uh, the only decent like that I saw number 12 Oregon at Arizona 9 p.m. Pac 12 I believe. Who did Arizona beat last week? They beat someone. Oh, they beat someone on the ropes. I'm going blank in here. Totally. I don't know, maybe Colorado, but I don't. Colorado, uh, yes, thank you. Who, by the way, is the worst team in college football? Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't call that a big win, and I wouldn't call this a good game. Uh, Oregon is favored <laughs> by twelve, and I assume that they will easily take take care of business against Arizona. But you're right; there is a dearth of good late games, like late late games. The other one in the Pac-12 is our beloved Oregon State Beavers. They go to Stanford at 11, 11 p.m. Uh, so I won't be won't be watching that. But yeah, the, the, the games end around uh, around 11 o'clock on Saturday, which is good. All right, Mike, our picks last week were what? Tim, we both got wins. You got off the schneid by taking uh, Wake Forest, your first win of the year. You're one and four. And I took the Clemson NC State over. Got a win. I am two and three. Bobby, hit the bumper. Plays bets on college football. Gambling is illegal at Bushwood, sir. I'm shocked, shocked to find that gambling is going on in here. You're winning, sir. Oh, thank you very much. 
What do you mean you don't bet? I mean, I don't bet. You know, I don't care. I don't. Pussy. I never Pussy. have, and I never will. Yeah, right. Mike Unger, 50-50, possible rock, probable loser of the week. Please hang up and try again. Tim, for this week's Lock of the Week, we are going to Champaign, Illinois, home of Brett Bailima, as you like to call him, and uh, the Fighting Illini. They're having a great year, and they are, according to some, in the driver's seat for the Big Ten West. In limp, the Iowa Hawkeyes with a high-powered offense, as we talked about. Now, Illinois put up 34 points at Wisconsin, which has a decent defense, right, last week? Yeah, the over under in this game is 35 points. Wow. I just cannot, I cannot lay off that and not take the over 35 points again. Illinois can score that. I wouldn't be surprised if they scored that on their own. Iowa has a futile offense, but they possibly could get some defense or special teams points. And let's, let's face it, Illinois is having a nice season, but they already lost to Indiana. They are not a powerhouse. Somehow, some way, these teams will combine for more than 35 points. <laughs> you know it's going to be six to four or something like that. <laughs> Probably. I will not be backing that. I will not be backing that pickup with uh, actual dollars. I'll take Purdue, Mike. Taking the boilers, huh? Plus three and a half, I think, is the spread to, to cover over Maryland. Interesting. Well, I'll be rooting hard against you. I've just seen, uh, you know, except for the, ex- the one exception of the 2000, was it 2001 under Ralph Region? Um, I've seen Maryland just too often have, oppor- and I'm not calling this a huge opportunity, but it's definitely an opportunity to take a step forward for this season. I just think, and I'm sure you have too, Mike, they just so often fall flat in their face. And um, it's a cultural thing. Maybe he solved it. I have no idea. I just, I think Purdue coming off that win last week is going to be feeling good about themselves. I think they're better than their record indicates. They certainly... They could have beaten Penn State. There's no question about it. They, well, just... they easily could have beaten Syracuse, too. They, they easily could be 5-0. and Yeah, so uh, I'm, I'm feeling confident about Purdue, Mike. Feel good about it. Well, I hope you lose. Um, what's on your uh, agenda this weekend, Mike? Uh, absolutely nothing. Following our trip, I will be watching all kinds of football all day in the basement. I'll be smoking some ribs or turkey. I haven't decided yet. Uh outside out back all day so it's going to be a glorious day of watching dozens of college football games nice and i have no soccer it's uh the holiday weekend so there's no uh games in the schedule so it's gonna be like for me as well a very relaxing weekend Mike. lovely yeah we need it after a wild weekend in utah all right thanks again mike and thanks again for planning the trip it was a blast as always and uh, we'll see what happens next year it could be anywhere as we all know um there's one thing to say mike Pachas. Joss. Thank you for listening to the TCFA podcast. For more college football news and wit, visit intelligentcollegefootball.com.